Uh, it is a delight to be with you, and it's uh, especially a delight because of my dear friend Colin. Uh, it's been mentioned, Colin and I knew each other in St. Louis, Missouri, back when uh, we were in seminary. Uh, that's back before Colin had any gray hair, and I had hair. Uh, those, uh, those days have changed sometime a, a lot more than three years ago. But I know Colin to be uh, a true churchman, uh, a man who loves the church. We served the church together. And so when Colin asked me to preach this morning, I, I immediately, my mind immediately went to the book of Ephesians because the one word summary for the book of Ephesians is church. Uh, and I, I was quickly drawn to this particular passage that I'm going to read for you here in just a moment. The Apostle Paul reminds the church that she is to respond in various ways to the good news of the gospel of grace. In chapter 1, Paul says... It's for the glorious riches. It's, it's for the glory. The saints are to, to rejoice in the gospel of grace that we have been given in Christ for the praise of His glorious grace. He says that three different times in chapter 1. At the end of chapter 1 and into chapter 2, he says the second response of the church is uh, to know Him better, to know Christ better. And we do that because we are in union with Him. Paul says over and over again in chapter 2, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. There is a third response that comes to us in chapter 3. And that response is applicable for the saints of New St. Peter's today. This is a special day. A day where we marvel at the grace that has been revealed to us, even as we have already celebrated in our liturgy thus far. A day where we are to respond to that grace in a certain way. What is that way? The Apostle Paul, by divine inspiration, tells us right here. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Hear now the word of God. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles... Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which is not made known to men in other generations, as it is now being revealed by the Spirit of God through the holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the, the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of His power. Although I am less than the least of all of God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for all ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms, according to His eternal purpose, which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Him and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my suffering for you, which are your glory." Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that you are speaking to us today by your word through the power of your Holy Spirit. So we pray that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things from this portion of your law, your gospel, that we might yet again marvel 
at your goodness, your grace that you have lavished on us in Christ Jesus our Lord, that we then might live that out. We praise you, Father, that you have revealed this mystery to us. Do it yet again, we pray, for the sake of your glory and for our good. We ask it through Christ our Lord. Amen. A young married couple were sitting together their first morning together in their brand new kitchen having just been married and uh, the man was reading his newspaper and the wife uh, got up and began to make some oatmeal. She put the oatmeal in the bowl, put a little dab of brown sugar on the top with a little cream and she served it up to her husband who was seated at the kitchen table and he ate it all down and he looked at her and he smiled real big and he continued to read his newspaper. So the next morning, she got up and she did the same thing. He liked it so much the first day. I'm certain that he's going to like it again the second day. So she made him a little bit more the second day. She did the same the third day and the fourth day. She didn't know anything else to do. Forty years later, in retirement, the couple found themselves seated at the, at the breakfast table again, the man reading his newspaper. And she sat across from him, not making his oatmeal that particular morning, but then breaking the silence, said, okay, I know you're going to be angry with me, but yesterday morning I ran out of oatmeal and I intended to get some during the day and I forgot all about it, so I don't have any oatmeal to make for you this morning. To which he replied, that's okay. I never cared for oatmeal anyway. Change is not something that we like, is it? It's not something that we like because I think we actually see change as something that's different, something that's bad. We get accustomed to doing things the same way over and over again, and we don't want to change. We don't like change, and we'll even endure the same old, same old, even if it's not something that we really enjoy for the, for the purpose of, for the reason of uh, not wanting to change something because change is too difficult for us. I, I was on sabbatical this past summer, from the ministry of Redeemer. I came back, I made two little bitty changes to the worship service, and you'd have thought I'd have changed, <laughs> I'd changed the entire thing. It was two little minor changes, but we, we simply don't like change because I think it is that we see change as different. But change really, my friends, that I want to explain to you today in this particular passage and this whole book is a progression Change is not something that's different, that, ought to, that we dislike and ought not to participate in. But change is a progression as God is growing us in His grace that we are not the same today as we were yesterday because of this progression of grace that's worked in our hearts and in our minds as He reveals more of Himself to us through this unsearchable mystery that's found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Back in chapter 1, the Apostle Paul reminded us towards the end of that chapter, in in verse 17, he says that we have a spirit, capital S spirit, the Holy Spirit, that gives us wisdom and revelation so that we might know him better. That we are growing, we are progressing in our understanding, our knowledge. We're changing through the progression of knowing him better by the work of the Spirit who lives and dwells within us. Then in chapter 2, the apostle gives us this picture of progression by looking at the past and the present and the future, and he does it in two different ways. First, he looks at it through the eyes of an individual. Look at the beginning of chapter 2 and verse 1. He says, As for you, you 
were dead, past tense, you were dead in your sins and in your transgressions. He's talking about us as individuals. But then in verse 4 of chapter 2, he moves to the present tense now. But because of his great love for us, God who is, present tense, who is rich in mercy, has made us alive in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 7, he moves to the future tense in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches that are ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. Then he goes on to do the very same thing, this past, present, and future look. But now he looks at the body, the church, instead of individuals in chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that you, you were formerly, you who are formal Gentiles by birth, uncircumcised. He looks at the past tense. Then in verse 13, he moves to the, the present tense. But now in Christ Jesus, you, the church, who were once far away, have been brought near. Grafted, engrafted together, all the way then to verse 22 where he looks at the future tense. And in him you are being built together to become that dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. It is a progression, my friends. The change that takes place in us as individuals, that takes place in in the church, the body of Christ, is not a bad thing. Change is a good thing if it is the progression of growing in grace that we are not today what we were yesterday. Then we get to chapter 3. The Apostle Paul begins by talking about himself, and then it's almost as if, not almost, he just stops mid-sentence. Look at verse 1. For this very reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles... uh, There's this just stop. He comes back to it in verse 7, back to himself... For the sake of you Gentiles, I I am now a, a pastor, I'm a preacher, I'm a servant of the gospel by the gift of God's grace. But before he does that, he stops, he pauses in verses 2 through 6 to say, I want to be certain that you understand this progression, this past, this present, and this future understanding of the mystery that has now been revealed to us. This mystery, look at verse 6 of chapter 3, that through the gospel... That through the gospel, you Gentiles are now heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, sharers together in the promise that's in Christ Jesus. How does that, how does that work in the hearts and minds of people like you, members of New St. Peter's? The Apostle Paul tells us in verse 8, through the faithful preaching of the word, preach the gospel, he said. This grace was given to me to preach the gospel, the unsearchable riches. That Greek word there means that we never get to the bottom of understanding the riches that we have in Christ. You can start digging, and every time you open the scriptures and dig a little bit deeper, he reveals yet another nugget, and another nugget, and another nugget, and another nugget. It's unsearchable. There is no bottom. There is no end to the riches that are ours in Christ Jesus. And through the faithful preaching, verse 9, we are now making plain, or we are lighting up, as literally translated, lighting up these unsearchable riches that the deeper we dig, the more we understand. It's that progression of God's grace for you as individuals, for you as the church of Jesus Christ. It is a good change, my friends. It's a good change for you today. A good change that you're getting a new pastor who is going to do this very thing to stand and preach the gospel that you might be 
moved along by grace, changed, progressed in your understanding of it, and changed by this sweet gospel. Paul starts with himself, chapter 1, or, or chapter 3, verse 1, but then moves to being certain that they understand this mystery has been revealed to all of the people of God. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, he says. This mystery that's now made known. Three times in verses 2 through 6, the Apostle Paul uses the word mystery. Three times. The word mystery in English, we have an understanding uh, of something that's clouded, something that is confused. It's a mystery to me, we say, as if we don't understand that. But in Greek, it's quite the opposite. It is the complete understanding by divine inspiration that Christ himself has revealed to us, opened our eyes to see something. So it's not a mystery to us. It's not something that's uh, covered, uh, shrouded but now it is something that is revealed in us by, divi- by the divine work. So three times the Apostle, the Apostle Paul says, this, this mystery has been revealed to you. You understand it. You understand it. And, and look at the picture he gives beginning in verse 3. He says, this, this mystery was revealed to me. This mystery was made known to me by the revelation that has come. But in verse 5, he, he gives us the progression Uh, which was not only made known to me, but to all men, to other men in other generations. And then in verse 9, to make plain to everyone, to all people, the administration of this mystery, the progression of to me, to others, and to everyone. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Here's what the Apostle Paul is saying, friends, this. There was never, ever, 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 ever a plan B in the mind of God. Only and always a plan A. That through redemptive history, what God started, listen friends, in the Garden of Eden with one individual family, Adam and Eve, became one ethnic family under the old administration of the covenant in the Jews and became one elect family in the new covenant with Jew and Gentile alike. From an individual to an ethnic to elect The progression of God's grace in revealing that grace, how? Through the gospel, the gospel of grace, the mystery that has now been revealed. And the mystery, Paul tells us, is revealed through the message, the message of of grace upon grace. My grandmother died last year, 96 years old, wonderful saint, now in glory, enjoying in part some of the inheritance until her body is reunited with her soul on the day that Christ comes again. But my grandmother had a saying, all kinds of sayings. We called her Nani, so we called them Nani-isms because there was always some saying. And one that I picked up very early was this, Now Delbert we know. We had no idea who Delbert was. We had no idea how Delbert finally knew. But we knew that if it was appropriate... She was going to say, well, now, Delbert, we know. I've lost this whatever, and, you know, I finally found it, and it was there all the time. Well, now, Delbert, we know, she would say. I found myself saying it audibly, out loud, in the car yesterday with nobody else in the car. I was on my way to Presbytery. I was going to take a shortcut, turned in into a... uh, into a subdivision thinking I could get through the other side of the subdivision, but you know, there's only one way in and one way out, the same way. 
into that subdivision. So I drove around for a while, then determined I was going to be late. So I said, I just, come on, Bryant, stop doing this. Just go back the way you know and get out. So I turned around, came back out. And there's not another way out of this subdivision. And then I said, now, Delbert, we know. I don't know why I said that, but I did. But now, Delbert, we know, friends. That's the good news of the gospel. The mystery has now been revealed through the message. Look at verse 6. Three times in verses 2 through 6, he used the word mystery. But now three times in verse 6, he uses the word together. That the Gentiles are heirs together. We're members together. We are sharers together. Friends, listen. You need the church because the church is the, the, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ through which we progress, we grow in grace in our union together as brothers and sisters. But friends, make no mistake, look at the end of verse 6. He's not saying to come together as the church and just be tolerant with one another be relative with one another and accept where every where every people where people are wherever they are he says that we are heirs together we are members together we are sharers together in the promise that's found how only in Christ Jesus there's the core of the gospel that our union with Christ brings unity in the body the church of Jesus Christ And he's progressing us, he's growing us in this grace, even today, by revealing more of this message of grace to us. Dr. Sinclair Ferguson put it like this. He said, there is no creature in heaven or earth more privileged than the humblest believer who has come to understand the depth of this great mystery. The mystery revealed. The mystery revealed is grace upon grace that we are heirs together, one another, the people of God. He's revealed it to us. Now then, we better understand why Paul moves to himself. He started with himself at the beginning of verse 1. He comes back to himself in verse 7. You know who this is, right? The Apostle Paul. This was the guy that once was the the persecutor of the church. He was going to destroy the church and everything in it. In chapter 3, verse 1, he says, The persecutor has now become a prisoner a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And now in verse 7, he says, the persecutor become prisoner has now become a preacher. I have become a servant, a proclaimer of the gospel of the gift of God's grace that has been given to me. And then he goes on to say in a humble way, as Paul often does, even in this office that he holds now, the called office set apart by God himself as he begins every one of his 13 books. I, Paul, an apostle, not by man, but by God, by the call of the the gospel of grace through Christ Jesus. He does the same thing here. He says in verse 8, I am less less than all of the least. Or literally translated, I am the lesser least. And it is a play on words in Greek. Because what he is doing is saying the unsearchable riches of Christ that never end, that know no end, and the deeper we dig, the more we reveal the beauty of it as we dig deeper and deeper and deeper. No ending in the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now he says, I am the lesser of the least. I've got to look up to see bottom. 
you reach bottom pretty quickly. In me, Paul says, you'll never reach the bottom in the riches that come to us in Jesus Christ, the very one who died for our sin. So Paul says, I've been called, been called to this particular place. The unsearchable riches of grace far exceed me being the lesser of the least. Colin, dear brother, there, there is, there's grace for people like you and me in this. And John and, and Aaron as well. This is not so much a comparison to us and the people that we serve, that we are to look at our people and say, I'm the lesser of all of you, the lesser of the least. We're all the lesser of the least together. The comparison here is us to our Savior. That Colin stands, friends, this is exactly why this particular pulpit is right here in the center. And in part, a very large part, why your pastor dons a robe because we are not set above you as individuals. We are set apart from you when we stand in this particular place to give you this right here, the riches, the unsearchable riches that are ours in Christ. So he's not elevating himself. He is actually saying, I am lesser than the least. I am, I'm among you as, as the least, but I'm lesser than the least because of the one that I now seek to glorify through the faithful preaching of the word. And that is Christ Jesus our Lord. So the church, my friends, the call now to the individual who becomes the preacher, once a persecutor, a prisoner, now a preacher, he goes on to say, now the call that is given to me, verse 8, is to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches, the, the, the bottomless riches of Christ, and to light up the way to make plain to everyone this mystery through the faithful preaching of the gospel. I understand and I hold to the priesthood of the believers. I believe that. We read that in, in uh, Peter, in 1 Peter. The, the priest, you do not have to go through a priest to get to your heavenly father. You have direct access. That said, while we are all the priesthood, there are still individuals who are duly called and set apart for this purpose, and that is the faithful preaching of the word. Paul tells that, tells us that uh, to young Timothy, chapter, or fact, chapter 5, verse 17. A laborer is worthy of his hire, especially one who is set apart for preaching and for teaching. So Colin will stand in this particular pulpit to give to you this mystery with this sole purpose in mind, to light it up, to make plain to you that there is no other way for you to get to heaven except through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the very one who gave himself for us, the one who knew no sin, who took on our sin, he bore our sin in his body, that we might be dead to it and alive to all that is good. That's his job. Your job is to put yourself under the faithful preaching of that word as God progresses you, as he grows you. He grows Colin through the faithful study of the word. He grows you now through the faithful preaching of the word. That's what he says in verse 10. Look at it. His intent now is that through the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is made known. Now through the church, God is revealing this mystery to individuals as he draws them, calls them, woos them, to himself. 
Isn't that a glorious thought? Change is not a bad thing. Change is a good thing if it is a progression in the grace that God gives to us in His Word. Back in chapter 1, verse 23, or 22 and 23, just listen to this. Paul says in 22 and 23, And God placed all things under His feet and appointed Him to be head over everything for the church, which is the body, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. Now we read that and I think we say the fullness of Him is talking about in reference to the church, that the church becomes full because of the unity that's ours as we sit under the faithful preaching of the Word. And while that is true, John Calvin understood chapter 23 to mean that the fullness of Him was when Christ is made full. And Christ is made full through the faithful preaching of the Word that is now revealed as he tells us there, this, this revelation that was done, verse 5, through the holy apostles, through prophets, and now through faithful preachers who stand, who stand because through the wisdom uh, or through the church, the manifold wisdom of, his, of God is made known to rulers, to authorities, to heavenly realms. He, he repeats that same phraseology, but in the opposite form in chapter 6, doesn't he? We aren't fighting against flesh and blood, but we're fighting against principalities of the evil darkness. But right here he says, those who put themselves under the preaching of the word by a man who is faithfully and duly called to that word, who faithfully proclaims that word, they are growing in grace. The freedom that is ours, the freedom that only the gospel can give. And when we experience that, the unity that we have in Christ and the union that we have in the body of Christ, then Christ is made full. Christ himself is filled when his body is being filled with the gospel of grace. Brian Chappell, the former president and chancellor of Covenant Seminary where Colin and I went to school, the the seminary of the Presbyterian Church in America... Dr. Chapel was actually uh, attended the church that I was a, a, an associate pastor in St. Louis. It, when you're preaching to about 15 or 16 seminary pro- uh, professors and Dr. Brian Chapel, who is the guy who taught us to preach, I mean, when they're in, in the congregation, it's a, it's, a, it's a scary thought sometimes. But he was asked one day by somebody at the church there in St. Louis, Dr. Chapel. Could you, tell, uh, could you tell me, just give me some of the, some of the big names in the, in the denomination. Who are some of the, the big-name preachers in our denomination and the big churches, the influential churches in our denomination as well? And Dr. Chapel, without skipping a beat, started spouting off a name after a name after a name. And this person with every name became more and more perplexed until uh, he finally interrupted Dr. Chapel and said, Brian, I, I don't know any of those names. I don't know any of those churches. And Dr. Chapel said, you wouldn't. Because they are not big names. They are no names. And those are not big churches. Those are no-name churches. But these are individuals, men called by God, who stand in a pulpit week after week after week after week, faithfully preaching the gospel of grace. Change has come for New St. Peter's and it is not a bad thing. 
it is a good thing because God has progressed us, grown us in grace, and today the saints of New St. Peter's get a no-name preacher. (laughs) And in the minds of many people, a preacher of a no-name church, but not to our Savior, the one who has called Him to give to you, to light up the unsearchable, the unending, bottomless riches that are ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Our Father, what a joy it is to hear your gospel proclaimed over and over and over again. We shall never grow tired of of hearing it. I pray, Father, that this pulpit will be a place where that gospel is faithfully proclaimed, as I know it will be, knowing my dear brother. But remind us when we step into this place that we are the lesser of the least, even when we come through these doors, that we are putting ourselves under the preaching of your word Because through that word, you are reminding us of the glorious, unending riches that are ours in our Savior. Seal that to us today, please. And every day we ask for Jesus' sake. Amen.